Hello again, my name's Andy and I write children's fiction under the pseudonym A.P. Winter. Today we're going to be talking about action and adventure and hopefully answering the question, what makes action seem worthwhile? I think some writers, if they're honest, have never really given action serious consideration and include it as a kind of shrug in their work something that needs to be there because they're writing an adventure and want the stakes and conflict to escalate, but not something they should spend serious time on, because why bother? It's all the same, isn't it? My assertion for this episode is that it isn't, and that just the same as any other aspect of your writing, there are good and bad ways of going about including action sequences in your work. Of course, if you're not writing adventure stories and find action sequences tedious, that's absolutely fine. But I'd say you might find these ideas interesting anyway, uh, to get an impression of what goes into these types of scenes and why they might be important to readers too. And also because many of the principles we'll talk about apply to all kinds of scenes. Let's start by defining an action sequence. I've talked about stories before as a sequence of interesting choices. Action sequences are this distilled. It's a series of imperative choices that take place in a dangerous or threatening situation. Decisions and actions being carried out under pressure with a clear sense of threat so that we know what the stakes are. Just like we talked about in the episode where the wild things argue, The level of challenge and threat in action scenes and the potential consequences of failure tend to increase as the story goes on, so we have a sense of stakes escalating too. Beyond this, I think what we mean by action can be understood fairly intuitively. In terms of subject matter, we're talking about scenes where a main character runs away from a bad guy, or fends off an attacking dragon, or jumps onto a moving train to steal the crown jewels. Scenes where something needs to happen that can't be settled by words, and it needs to happen fast. We'll come back to how we make choices seem imperative later, but first I wanted to mention something simple we've talked about in the last few episodes, setting up a sense of anticipation in our writing. We do this so that the reader is engaged in constructing meanings, instead of just having events reported to them. This game of encouraging the reader to expect, hope, and wonder about things is one of the core elements at the heart of all good fiction. By the way, if you want a grounding in these ideas, I definitely recommend listening to the two episodes on effective scenes. Now, it's easy for this game of expectations and choices to get thrust aside in the excitement of action sequences when we just want to say what's happening to our characters as quickly as possible and show the results. The authorial voice might creep in, telling the reader how dramatic everything is and racing through details, because action isn't meant to be subtle, right? I think making readers connect meaning and images in action scenes is just as crucial to making these scenes interesting as any other part of your writing. It can seem counterintuitive, but using more space on the page 
taking time to build a sequence of details and actions can end up seeming faster paced and more thrilling than rushing through the writing as quickly as possible. A simple sequence I like to illustrate this idea goes like this. Our hero is wandering down the street. They hear the sound of something striking a wall nearby. Unexpected sounds are a great way of getting us into this state of alert and an impression of imperative things happening. They flinch, see an arrow embedded there, look to the direction the arrow must have fired from, and see the big bad guy standing there with a bow. It's pretty basic, isn't it? Visually, it's old-school kung fu movie stuff. But however you might feel about old-school kung fu movies, having this process of realisation and expectation taking place is far more interesting than the alternative, just telling us that suddenly the bad guy was there and that it's scary. There's a poetry to it, a sense that we're being encouraged to connect images and meanings. The author hasn't had to step in at any point to tell you how scary it is or how dramatic things are. It's all just images. And if you can cultivate this state in which the reader is rapidly constructing clues about a heightened state of threat from images alone, rather than just being told that a threat is there, you're encouraging readers to react to dangers in an instinctive way too. It makes it much more thrilling and possibly frightening. A core lesson from this is to try to show images that suggest danger rather than telling the reader how dangerous everything is all the time. Hopefully, this will make them more likely to engage instinctively, they'll anticipate things, hope for things, and react to shock realizations. To create momentum, these images and details should lead to immediate choices that need to be made, whether it's the choice to duck or throw something, or the choice of which door to run through based on the contextual clues of what is beyond. It should all feel fluid, and usually it should feel fast. Short, clear paragraphs help with this. Throughout, we want a sense of affidation, so an understanding of cause and effect, so that the reader understands what is important at each turn. But again, it's probably best if this importance is conveyed contextually rather than being stated and explained. One of my favourite awful action sequences that I still remember from my teenage reading was a scene in which there's a sword fight with a bad guy on a narrow path over a cliff. The bad guy gets knocked off but then reappears, apparently levitating under the power of his cloak. This might be acceptable, but then the bad guy proceeds to explain aloud that he has a floating cloak, just so there's no risk of confusion for our hero, and then rubs it in by saying, but you don't have a floating cloak, do you? Why this absolute mad lad feels the need to explain their cloak to anyone, and then brag about it in a way that makes it very clear to the reader what the potential hazard to our hero is, is a mystery. It begins to take on the feel of a tired editor trying to understand what's going on, and I think it's a good example of when the images, however outlandish, really tell us everything we need to know. Although, as a side point, 
Maybe a scene that implies this cloak might have floating properties earlier in the story would have been a good call, so we could connect some meanings there and not feel quite so aghast by what is taking place. Anyway, this focus on pace is also why, even if you're an experienced martial artist, parkour runner, or piracy enthusiast, you still probably shouldn't describe the specific actions of characters in detail, but instead distill their actions into something rapid that gives a simple and easily understandable impression of what's happening, rather than a textbook account. Another basic example of anticipation being used is in a chase scene. So let's say a character is running away from a bad guy, and they're going to go through a dangerous factory. The most boring approach is to say, then they ran into a factory, and then proceed to say, there was, and describe all the things in the factory, including potential hazards. By the time we're back to our main character and what they're doing, we've lost all sense of immediacy. Instead, as they're running in approach to the factory, we can include some clues of what's coming. Sensory clues are probably the best choice. Maybe they hear the sounds of heavy machinery, voices calling out, thick smoke clogs the air. They can even pass warning signs or go under an iron entranceway with the name of the ominous factory on it, if that's important. Then, as the chase continues, they barge through a door and emerge in the factory proper. We already know what this place is, and because of that, you don't have to pause and load a lot of sensory information onto the reader, because we've had an impression of what's coming through all those little sensory details you've already seeded. We're just ready to see what surprising things might happen here. And by not describing the interior all at once, we can use the images of things inside to imply a sense of movement and variety. Once we know a chase is taking place, being able to say they weaved through such and such, or she ducked under this and that, creates a nice variety of actions and images. Holding back from too much description, but allowing little sensory nods to things approaching, also helps avoid that sense of the author leading characters towards objects and settings where set-piece action will happen, like they're performing a stunt show, and instead makes it seem like part of the agency of the characters moving fluidly through their world. It's the difference between having a character look over and see a convenient chain hanging there for them to swing to safety, and the reader thinking, I didn't know there were chains here, versus passing through a setting where we've already established chains being all over the place, getting in the way, swinging dangerously overhead, and then suddenly, at the right moment, reaching for one in a desperate act of escape. I hope that gives an impression of what action sequences aim to achieve, and a little of how their structure works. In the next episode, we will build on this to look at how to construct the line-by-line of sequences in a satisfying way, As a final point on this sense of anticipation being important to sequences, I feel I should mention a piece of advice that gets thrown around a lot, so avoiding deus ex machina, so convenient rescues that appear from nowhere. I think this is fairly self-explanatory, but I would extend this to unexpected accidents too, especially when it involves the main bad guy when they slip on something or fall down some hole by accident, 
get eaten by a monster that suddenly appears, laugh manically about having won and then step into their own trap. I suppose there's a grim irony to it, but it usually ends up feeling like an excuse, saying, I can't think of a real solution to this encounter, so here's something that just makes it stop. There's no sense of choice to it, no impression of some serious journey the hero has taken to achieve this end, and no meaning to connect in a satisfying way. But this is where anticipation and connecting meanings can make such a big difference. One earlier scene can shift the needle completely from an apparent ending seeming unsatisfying to seeming reasonable. I remember the movie The Incredibles doing their own knowing take on this. A bad guy in a cape gets his comeuppance when his cape gets caught in something. If this ending came completely out of left field with no reference to capes and their hazards earlier in the movie, it would be a damp squib of an ending, a shrug, an acknowledgement that we had to have him defeated somehow, so here's some gentle irony and a reason to stop worrying. But in this case, the accident is linked to an earlier sequence. There's an implied choice when the hero asks for a cape on his own outfit, and the outfitter, his wise advisor in the fairy tale template, tells him no, and shows a sequence of how heroes have been destroyed by their own capes. We can connect the dots and feel smug about the fact that we knew this would turn out bad for the bad guy, and that our hero avoided the same fate by knowing better. It's simple stuff, but I think it demonstrates what we've been talking about. It's not always what happens that makes us accept something as interesting and feel worthwhile, but connecting it to what has come before. Okay, this is the wide picture stuff sorted. We're talking about action feeling like it fits, action being anticipated, action seeming fluid. I'll hopefully release another episode later this week, moving away from these general principles and looking at constructing the line-by-line of action and adventure scenes with some good examples, so I hope you'll find that useful. Thank you, as always, to everyone that has supported the podcast. If you've gained something worthwhile from these ideas and want to contribute the price of a coffee to support the show, you can do so through the link in the description. If you can't contribute anything, that's absolutely fine. The whole point of this podcast is to make insights more available to writers. But please do share and recommend the show as widely as possible. It makes a big difference. Next time, then, we'll be looking at the line-by-line of action scenes and creating an example of a thrilling action sequence. I hope you'll join me then.